This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Decades ago in Brooklyn, I watched Brent Spiner rehearse the play Immigres under the direction of Andre Arnott. My then-boyfriend was producing the show. I was instantly impressed with Brent's skilled, well-crafted performance, which, no surprise, was funny, cynical, smart, and sometimes crazy. Brent knows how to maneuver his characters between comedy and drama with a remarkable finesse. Please listen to our conversation about family, comedy, and you can hear me having my biggest belly laugh of 2020. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Brento. Well, hi, Gates. How are you? Or Gatey, as I often call you. I know, yeah. you do. Well, you called me Dates at one point, and I called I you I called Bent. you uh, Cheryl at one point. I know. Many I kn- years you ago. You knew me as I Cheryl. Did. I, I did. knew you as Brent. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Way back in New York City, yeah, indeed. And yeah. then we ran into each other by the trailer. Yeah. Remember when we were we auditioning? Were, yeah, we were auditioning. Yeah, God. Uh, there, anyway, we both said, there is no way I'm doing this show. <laughs> I know. And, yeah. and you know, yeah. once again, we were wrong. Yeah. Um, You look good. Thank you. You look good, too. Yeah, I yeah. like that beard. Oh, well, thanks. I like yours, too. Thank it's, you uh, so much. I've been really grooming it. You know, I like the fact that you kept the beard red <laughs> and... Uh, and went with the rest of your hair on that trial. Yeah. Oh, thank you, because I yeah. wasn't sure about that. Yeah, no, it's good. But I, 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 but yours is odd that you would go with red for yours because that's <laughs> nothing to do with. It's natural. It oh, grows it red. Is. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, you do look very healthy and wonderful. Well, thank you. Um. So, um, I think you know, I'm thinking that we have to just kind of start in in Lithuania. Lithuania. Yeah. I'm thinking. Okay, <laughs> let's go. Because <laughs> aren't we both kind of from? Um, yeah, yeah, from basically Eastern Vil- Europe that's for right, sure. Vilnius, right. Vilnius. Yeah. yeah, that's where I think we're both from. Well, it, well, my grandfather was. Well, uh, yeah, I, he must have known you back then. <laughs> he must have known me. <laughs> yeah. But what's amazing that I didn't know hmm. is when I was reading, it's like a really screwed up history of that whole region. It's so screwed up. Oh my God. It's like, uh, it's changed so many times. So many times. It was like with the Habsburgs and then this, and then, and everybody wanted to get away from the Russians. And and what was amazing that I didn't know is that the Russians had really gotten rid of all the Jews and put them in this area that was right in Belarius and uh, right by Vilnius in Lithuania, that, mm-hmm. those regions. Right. And they had wanted all of them to be in that kind of Poland area. I didn't know that. Mm. That's why the Nazis wanted to start right there with uh, purging the Jews, because there was this like, huge amount of Jews there, which yeah. is, just makes it more heinous. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just worse and worse. Well, isn't there, there's a film, I can't remember the name of it. I know Liv Schreiber is the star of it, about this group of Jews who were in that uh town who went out into the woods. Yes, I've seen that film. That's powerful. My grandparents or great-grandparents, because it's both of our great-grandparents, right? No, well, I mean, ultimately, my grandfather was born, lived in Vilnius until he was 19. Okay, so my grandmother lived there until she was about 13, and her sister was like 12, Mm -hmm. and they 
and that they were Catholic, and there was huge. Uh, I mean, they there was they hated Catholics, hmm. uh, which at one time they had loved Catholics, and then all of a sudden it was like we want you to be Orthodox, and they were being persecuted just like the Jews. Well, wait, who was? I mean, uh, uh, who hated the inhabitants who were Russian Orthodox then, and they really felt that. The Jews and the Catholics were miscreants, you know, just like, let's get rid of them. And she came over when they did the big purge, and um, one of her sisters was sent to Buenos Aires to live with relatives, and my grandmother was sent to uh, Western Massachusetts, and my grandfather, they were probably all on the same boat. Yeah. (laughs) With your 19-year-old grandfather. Well, no, my grandfather came, I think, in like 1899, something like that. that's before. Yeah. Because he was in World War One, he was a soldier. So then, what did he do when he came? So when did you? How did you get to Houston? Uh, well, I was born in Houston. That's how I got there. But uh, <laughs> I know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, here's what happened. My grandfather was. Uh, he had a large family. Um, his his uh, father was a was a, a teacher, uh, kind of a rabbi slash teacher. Wow. And uh, they were from a little town near Vilnius, very near. And he got a job teaching in Vilnius, so he went there to teach, and he got really sick. And um, so my great-grandmother, my my grandfather's mother, left the kids with the oldest kids and went to take care of her husband. And uh, the story I have, and it's all really vague because it's come through uh, a document my uncle, my great uncle, wrote at one point, and he wasn't a great writer, but it was the facts, basically, that while she was caring for him, some soldiers, Russian soldiers, I suppose, uh, I don't know, uh, burst into the room and killed both of them. And um, so my grandfather was the second son. The oldest son had basically just disappeared. He he went out on his own to try to do something. And this is, again, vague, but my grandfather said he remembered seeing him at the docks one time. And that was the last time he saw him. Wow. So- Well, you uh, know, when you're saying he taught at a university, they got rid of the university right around that time. Right. They, they completely shut it uh, down. Well, I don't think this was a university. I think it was more like a, like a, uh, a religious school, like oh, a I Jewish see. school. Got like it. a, uh, I can't think what they're called now. Right. But- um, so anyway, my grandfather, who is now the oldest son, remaining son, uh, decided he needed to leave and he needed to go to America. <laughs> so, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So I know he got enough money to travel on a boat, uh, I'm sure steerage. He, he, the boat went to Galveston, Texas because, oh, wow. uh, that's where the port was then. And uh, he also had... He didn't go to Ellis Island? No. He went straight from uh, Russia to... I didn't think you could do or, that. Yeah. Straight to Galveston. And um, didn't go to, he didn't go to New York. My grandmother went to New York first. Or no, she went to Baltimore first. That's a crazy story. I'll tell you in a minute. But my grandfather went straight to Galveston. And um, they had people who... Uh, not represented them. That's not the word, but they, they, there were people already they, living yeah, there. No, they kind of fostered. They were like a. They they said we will speak up for that family. Right, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. And so he came down there, and and they let him stay there. And he uh, got a job on a wagon, you know, selling from a wagon. And he was a real dynamo as far as business, and he had a real desire 
to achieve and right. to make money uh, because he'd been in, living in right, poverty right. for so long. And um, so he, he wound up buying the wagon when he made enough money. <laughs> and then uh, he saved his money and bought a store. And uh, ultimately, he made enough money. Uh, well, he met my grandmother in Galveston. And they decided to move to Houston. And uh, that's well, how they got well what's interesting that I didn't know also about Galveston is after the 1900 floods, mm-hmm. which was 6,000 people died, right? right? I remember reading about that as a kid and just like a history book. But I had no clue that Houston, that they had dredged stuff to become this port city, that it was actually Galveston that was the big port until that. 1900, they were too slow to rebuild. Mm-hmm. And so they they did all this stuff. The Houston people said, no, we want the money. We want to get this. So let's dredge it out and let's make the port. And I didn't realize what a huge worldwide port that Houston is and was. Right. But it was the oil barons and stuff who, yeah. who started it. It was right. all of it was all about oil. Yeah. And I guess I never tied those two things together. I mean, it makes perfect sense. But but really, Houston is like the fourth biggest city in the United States. Yeah, Houston's enormous. I kept thinking it was like the seventh or eighth or something, but it's huge. It is now. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so, uh, well, what happened, also my grandmother, she came later after that flood, and uh, there was another one, I think around 19— 19- But your grandfather was there for that flood? Yeah, he was there, but uh, they didn't know each other at that point. Okay. And uh, she came with her family. They had— actually had some money. They lived in Kiv and uh, my grandmother's family. And they had a, they had a, uh, like a, like a, a place where you, you go for massages and to take the water. A spa. And, yeah, like a yeah. spa. They right. owned a spa. Right. And, but when the Bolsheviks came in and all of that, uh, it got crazy and they had to leave. And so they went to Galveston as well. She went to Baltimore first. The boat first went to Baltimore. And I can remember her telling me a story that when they changed boats in Baltimore, she saw for the first time and had no idea, not heard about it, because she was a young girl, she saw black men uh, loading mm. on mm. the docks, mm. and she didn't know what that was. She thought, like, what, what, what's, what is that? And uh, it's just crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I'm st- still quite amazed that, why do we only hear about Ellis Island? I didn't really think that you could. I knew you come in like certainly the Chinese uh, immigrants came in through San Francisco and stuff. But, mm-hmm. but I always thought all the Europeans had no choice. Like if you wanted to immigrate, you had to go there. So that's really, that's news no, to me. No, neither of them did. Oh, interesting. And um, But uh, my grandmother tells me about or told me about uh, the second big hurricane that came into Galveston when she was there. And she said the flood was so high that uh, she had to, her brother had to, they went up to the courthouse, which had steps, and they went to the courthouse because the water was rising so rapidly. And uh, she got on her brother's shoulders, and she said the water came up to his neck before it stopped. And she said you could feel things floating by underneath chairs and, you know, whatever. Well, people would get knocked down by, like, trees and right, stuff. Right, trees it's and branches. So scary. Were, yeah. I've seen pictures of that flood. It really must have been, I mean, just so terrifying. Oh, really? What also in my, my little research about Houston that yes. blows my mind, because I've been really into, um, I like redoing houses that mm-hmm. I live in, and um, they have no ordinance. They have tried to pass having some zoning mm-hmm. ordinance 
three times historically in Houston. And the yeah. last time was in the six, 60s something. They they don't want it. Like, there's nothing like here. Oh, my God, you can't put a driveway this far from the street. You have to do this, a sidewalk, this. Hmm. Everything has um, regulations. You yes. can't build. Uh, I couldn't put a store up where I live uh, in Hollywood. I, I, you right. can't do it. There you can do it. Yeah. And it's just this. It is like the Wild West. I, I can't believe they still don't have anything. Yeah, Houston is a it's really unusual really crazy. town. It is, isn't it? I mean, it I is. can see it on the one hand, and I, I, I would guess again it has to do with oil and stuff. If I suddenly find oil under that <laughs> that bank in, in Houston. Or you want it. Yeah, I'm going yeah. to tear down that building and put a, a thing up there. Absolutely. I mean, the, you know, the thing I wonder about Houston, and I don't know anything about uh, how you build something like this, but, you know, Houston now floods every year. I know. It's dangerous. And, Every year, a, a heavy rain floods the city, much less hurricanes coming into the Gulf. And um, at, I, I don't understand. I, I spoke to the mayor of Houston when I was there uh, at a convention. Hey, do you have the key of the city? I don't. Oh, do you have it? I have the key of, of Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. Well, well, I have that too, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who wants it? Is basically, no, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, <laughs> but um, I talked to him about it was raining terribly when I was in Houston last, and or for this convention, and literally you couldn't take certain streets. I, I had to get yeah. to my mother's house, and I couldn't get there. And um, uh, I said, what, "What? What's the deal? You know, can't we do anything here to improve this?" And he said, "Well, they were trying, but here's the part that I don't understand: is how did they do it in Holland?" You know, they had a system of dikes and they had a system of well, really controlling like a canal. Yeah. They really controlled where the water would go off to. I mean, that that was major. And they still have flooding in certain parts. Yeah. But why don't we have dikes? Why don't they have dikes in, in New Orleans? Well, they're going to have to do stuff because now it's everything costs much more money than it did way back when to start a system. I right. mean, to start a system from scratch, like in Miami or something, it's, right. it's just going to be incredibly expensive. I can tell that the ocean has risen. From my house, I can see the ocean. Mm -hmm. Just this, this like a sliver thing. And it's gone bigger and bigger and wider since I moved in like, you know, almost 30 years ago. Right. Well, that's what we're in for, isn't it? Yeah. I mean... I know I'm going to have beachfront property. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're going to be underwater. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but so, so, all right. So then um, Sylvia is, she grew up in, that's your mother. That's my mother, yeah. Who, and she is just the most awesome woman you could ever meet. I she mean, is. She's just, she's the best. I, yeah. I, I mean, aren't those great pictures of Sylvia at the birthday party of Jack when he was six? Yeah, wonderful. Oh my God. She was, I mean, she was just like any setting. Yeah. She's perfect. Yeah. And she's she's ninety four now, and she looks sixty. Well, well, I would say, you well, know, sixty five probably. Yeah. No, no, she's amazing. Yeah. She's, and and so mentally alert and everything, mm -hmm. and just a, totally just fantastic. And let's not forget her mm. um, fried chicken recipe with the matzah. Yeah. That I know. No, that was unbelievable. That, that back in the day when I was eating meat. <laughs> I know uh, that was I that mean, was I dream good. about that fried chicken. But I think that's that fried chicken was the best. I'd, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Really so she grew up. Did she have? She had sister, right? Two sisters. Two sisters. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, are they both still alive? That uh, one is. Okay. And um, what what business did your grandmother go into? Well, my grandmother wasn't in business. Well, she, she worked had with some my money. grandfather. She worked with my grandfather for a little while. She sold tamales. She made tamales what? and sold them on the street. Yeah. And um, while he <laughs> tried to get his his shop together. And um, what ultimately happened was my grandfather bought 
the formula for frosty root beer. And, oh, um, wow. Yeah. And he made frosty root beer. Oh, and he, wow. it went, as things grew, he had a, you know, a large plant finally that, oh, that ice made ice cream floats with frosty. Oh, man. But when I was a kid, I used to go to his, his plant and I would see, you know, all the frosty root beer. But he had a conveyor belt that he, I remember him pressing a button and a bottle of, of soda water would come, you know, down. But then they made, frosty made like cherry and, Orange and all kinds of flavors, but obviously frosty root beer was yeah that was, was the, one. the thing. So and then so your dad, who I know died when you were two. Well, right? no, it was like ten that. months. Ten months. Yeah. So tell me about all your memories. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I remember my mother telling me because <laughs> yeah. I don't remember of anything. Oh, yeah. But he, when did he tell me about his family? So he he was a furniture. He had a furniture store. He had a furniture store. store yeah. What that kind had, of stuff did he sell? Uh, it was used furniture. Okay. And, uh, oh, was, that's my favorite kind of store. Yeah, and uh, you'd have loved it. I would have. But his great. What happened? His his father, originally, this was one what they call Washington Avenue in Houston, which was uh, not a great neighborhood, but um, it is now. It's really trendy and hot now. But uh, back then. He had, my grandfather, my father's father, had the first uh, public swimming pool in Houston. And, um, wow. yeah, it was huge, enormous swimming pool. And, wait, um, now how, wait, how did the, he, and he had the funds to build that by then? Yeah, I don't know how. I, I, don't, I know very little about that side of the family. Right. Um, I mean, it could have been loans, who knows. Yeah, but, yeah. it might have been. But uh, I know he came from, we're, they're, they're absolutely not sure where he came from. I think they've. <laughs> They've settled on Romania. Um, Eastern European, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, and his wife, I think, uh, my grandmother, I think was from Hungary, possibly. You know, there was but a thin line between. you never got to know them. You never I, I got- knew them very briefly because they were quite old when oh. I was a little kid. Because they had, my father's older brother was, uh, I think, like 15 years older than him or maybe more. And his sister was quite a bit older than him. He was this the, the youngster in the family. Wow. And uh, so uh, anyway, he built this public swimming pool and was apparently amazing and huge. And somebody was drowning, and the lifeguard dove in to save this person, and the lifeguard wound up drowning. What? And Yeah. And my grandfather apparently was so upset about it that he, he covered the entire pool and and built over it and uh, wow, built this furniture store over it. I don't know. You know, it happens. Wow. Uh, and I remember when I was a little kid. And he well, built a furniture store over it. Yeah. That's amazing. And uh, when my father, my father was in the Navy. When he got out of the Navy after the war, he took over the furniture store from my grandfather because he was very old at the time. And, um, and then when he died, my mother took over the furniture store, and she ran the furniture store for years. Wow. And uh, she was 23. She would go out and find the, the— I think she had dealers who would come to her with stuff, and okay. she would buy it at wholesale and then sell it, okay. resell it. She wasn't going to estates. Well, maybe she was going she to estates. She might have. Yeah. I, I don't think so. She wow. may have had people who worked for her who did that. Wow. But— um, I remember going out the back door. If you went out the back the back door of the furniture store, part of the swimming pool was still visible. And there was this huge drop from the stairway down to the swimming pool. Wow. Yeah. Now, does your brother 
did your brother Ronnie, um, who has hmm. um, passed away, passed, yeah. yeah, did he have memories of your dad? Vague, very vague. Because he, he was how much older? He, he was 16 months older than me. Oh, well, that's nothing. Right. So he was a child as well. And he, uh, he can remember, I think he had one memory of being picked up. Um, and that's it. But, uh, yeah, so my mother was 23 and she had two babies, basically. And um, That's why Sylvia's so amazing. Yeah, and she said, at that time, she was a child. She said, my of father, my, she'd gone from my grandparents' home straight into my father's. And she said, he took over completely. She didn't do anything uh, other than take care of the kids. And... Uh, so she just said, I didn't know about anything. Wow. And uh, I had to learn really quickly, and she did. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. when you have to learn, there, yeah. there is a whole thing. I was just reading about the difference of how we're bringing up our kids, and, you know, they're talking about the helicopter parents, and, yeah. you know, nobody was helping us with our homework when we were growing up, and maybe maybe that was, maybe it's better. No one knows what's better, you know? No. It's, it's, it's so hard. Well, whatever it is, it's bad, <laughs> you know? Whatever you do. You're, you're going to you're damage going to your child somehow. in some way, you know, either through loving them too much or not loving them enough or I not know. giving them enough autonomy or giving them too much autonomy. You know, you can't, it's just impossible I to know. nail it. But what you what what we can do is love them. That's, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's pretty, pretty big because there's a lot it's of people big. who don't have love. I, I think there's two things. I think there's uh, love, and this is maybe an aspect of love, but I think approval is really important too to let them know you approve of who they are. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I agree. It's it's crucial because mm -hmm. there's so many doubts and self doubts, and they already pick up all of our self critique that we do on ourselves. You right. Know? It, everything that I hate about myself. Right. That's that's know, the thing like, is I like to impart my own <laughs> self loathing on my child. I know. <laughs> it's really sad. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, so you and uh, Ronnie, what were, did you play together a lot or did you play alone? Uh, no, we played together a lot. What did you play? Well, uh, I, well, we played together differently. I mean, you know, we wrestled, we, we wrestled and, uh, you know, my brother uh, was, again, he was 16 months older than me, so he resented the hell out of my oh. existence, you know. Like I, my brother did. Right, know. you know, yeah. I mean, he had it all to himself and I came along and, Suddenly, he wasn't getting as much attention, and that's tough. It is tough. At that age, yep. you know. So I, I think basically, you know, he sort of beat me up every day. <laughs> that was sort of his deal. And um, That's kind of exactly how I felt with my brother. I'm not kidding yeah. you. I felt the same thing. I felt, and of course, <laughs> nothing to do with, it's not his fault. It was no. just, 
But, he was so loved. And then this yeah. other creature comes in and it's, it's right. not yeah. okay. But did you find, uh, as much as my brother punished me for my existence, if somebody else dared to bother right. me or hurt me in any way, my brother always jumped in, always, yeah. and, and, and stopped it. My brother was the protector because yeah. we had this really mean kid, Roy Pyle, who, yeah. who, who they had the store that sold all of— it was like a mini 7-Eleven, but it was, yeah. you know, not as nice or right. whatever. I've seen pictures of him in my parents' photos, and he looks like a classic bully in some silent movie. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. Do you know what he's doing today? No, I have no idea. You know, you know, watch you Google him. I, I I actually tried once. Oh, you because, did? Yeah, because I was, I was really. He, I have such visceral memories. He so was so scary, and he he beat me up some, and he and Clark would always come and you know try to protect me. But he he was mean to them. He they they did the rocks in snowballs, you know, and 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 Roy would always say. Tell me where they are. I'll give you a banana <laughs> popsicle. And, oh my and he would never give them to me. I couldn't win. You know? uh, no, of course. Oh, Roy. So I think Roy lived in my neighborhood too. <laughs> it's so scary. But then they protect you. The minute yeah, I would that's get. That's what would happen. Like they, they, I used to be chased from, because we walked to school, right? Yeah. So I walked when, when I was really little. We lived on this main street by the kindergarten. And I had to walk. You know, I was four. And I would walk to school. It wasn't that far. And there was some eight-year-old girl who just, I mean, they wanted to scare me. So she and her brothers or whoever it was, there was like three or four of them, I would be coming home and they'd go, there she is. And they'd start after me. And I would just pee my pants and be crying as I ran, ran home. And my brother came back and he, he, he sort of like, you know, hit her or something yeah. and she stopped. So well, it was like he saved me. Yeah. Did your brother, I mean, in our family, it was different because it's two boys, but um, my brother always got first choice of everything. Oh, wow. We moved into a, a, a house. He chose, we usually, we, we always slept in the same bedroom, but he got to choose which bed was his, and it was always the bed by the window, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, and, that's tough. Uh, a couple of other instances I recall that uh, my... Um, we played cowboys and Indians, of course, when we were kids, and uh, or, or cowboys and Native Americans, pardon me. And uh, that's <laughs> oh, not. Did you? I, yeah. I, I actually have found in in things all of our little rubber rubberized things. Remember, mm-hmm. we used to play oh, yeah. all the time. It was a big deal. Yeah. So, uh, and I loved it, and I had my cap gun and all yeah, of that. You know, yeah. somebody just wrote about the other day the smell of those those caps. caps. Yeah. Oh, I know. They were fantastic. The best. Yeah. Uh, so you know, somebody ought to. Make that in a bottle, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Cat, it's, you know, it really would, but yeah. young people wouldn't get. Well, they like fireworks. Cat it is, gun smell. Oh, it's so you know? good. But uh, my uncle, my who was my father's brother, who was an attorney in Houston, his older brother, uh, who outlived him by several years. He uh, he was a wonderful man. He was like a great attorney. He was beloved in the community. A fantastic guy, and um, he bought my brother and I these beautiful cowboy shirts Mm. with fringe and, Mm. you know, and we were just, these are fantastic. And then we turned them over and one of them said Roy Rogers and the other (laughs) said Dale Evans. Oh, no. (laughs) And guess which one my mother, my brother got. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Wow. And and then I remember one, one. uh, (laughs) Well, you know, you look kind of like Dale. Yeah, well, you know. uh, She could sing, but uh, one, so could Roy, by the way. But um, he reminds me too much of uh, Mike Pence right now. Well, <laughs> sort of a something. Yeah, I, was, I loved Roy. Rogers oh, I did too. And, I watched it all the time, yeah. but I liked Hopalong a lot. Well, I did too. Yeah, I actually went to what was supposedly the last Hopalong Cassidy rodeo that took place in Houston. Oh and, wow! Yeah, he was about ninety, I think. 
<laughs> because on those in those films, he's already a white haired by the time you see him. I know. He, yeah. It looked so what what yeah. a dazzling outfit uh, oh, and everything. But to you have know, the white he was hair. a really interesting guy. We could totally go off on I know, a, on a I tangent know. here about uh, William Boyd, who played Hoplon Cassidy. He was fascinating. I actually have all of my stuff. I have my, we have watches that we're, yeah. we have all the garb. Well, the, the, uh, I just, you know, I did this series last season, Penny Dreadful, and we shot at what's called Melody Land in Newhall. And that was Hoplon Cassidy's property. And his hacienda was there. Wow. And he lived up in New, he had two houses. He lived in Newhall and he lived in Malibu. And, oh, uh, well, that is a way. He would go from there to Malibu back and forth. I don't know what kind of roads there were then. Well, but it was probably really cool. I mean, what, how yeah. beautiful. Oh, it, it is like, still beautiful. Yeah, exactly. So I can see that. Yeah. You know? But he shot all of his later westerns up in, in Melody Land in Newhall. Wow. And uh, he had been a, a, a silent star. He was quite, when he was young, yeah. handsome. And then he became Hopalong Cassidy, and uh, that's what he did for the rest of his life. But uh, anyway, I was getting back to the, uh, there was a, a Christmas, or rather Hanukkah in my case, where my grandparents bought us Dean and Jerry uh, hand puppets and a little theater, oh. and there was a little record that came with it. And I still remember some of this, the stuff that was on the record. But, uh, and of course, my brother got first choice, right. and Jerry was my, my god. And of course, Ronnie took Jerry, and I yep. had to have Dean, and I was, I don't want Dean. <laughs> I hate Dean. <laughs> well, now I'm happy to have Dean, but... Uh, yeah. See if you know who said this. Okay. A woman doing comedy doesn't offend me, but sets me back a bit. I, as a viewer, have trouble with it. I think of her as a producing machine that brings babies into the world. Well, that could only be the great Jerry Lewis. That's Jerry his Lewis. most serious oh. and unfortunately serious. So good. Yeah. Uh, you know. I mean, that's so creepy. That's so well, creepy. Well, it is, yeah, it really. Know. Uh, you know, but Jerry... Jerry was a complicated man. I met him. I met him once. Uh, I actually spent a day with him. Um, a friend of mine was was uh, doing the. Uh, my friend Mac was doing the clips for a show called Dream On. He pulled all of those oh, clips. Oh, I was on Dream On. Yeah, yeah. Well, you remember that show? They hit. They the guy would see his yeah, life in terms clip. of right, old right, film right. clips. Well, Mac pulled all the clips from Universal right. uh, stock. I knew that. And yeah. uh, and so uh, I did an episode, and John Landis. Uh, directed the episode I did, and the next week I got a phone call f- from Mac, and he said, "Hey, uh, Jerry is coming today. To uh, John is directing. John Landis is directing um, a, uh, a a Coke commercial from Mexico with Jerry as the Nutty Professor." And uh, John asked me if you would maybe want to come and hang out, and so I went and spent the day with him, which was unbelievable. <laughs> and years later, I was doing a show. On Broadway, and um, one of the stage managers was was all dressed up at the end of the night in coat and tie. And I said, "Where are you going?" And he says, "Oh, I'm having dinner with Jerry Lewis." And I said, "You're kidding?" And he said, "Yeah, they had done Hell's a Poppin' on the road together." And he said, "Yeah, I'm going to have dinner with Jerry." And I said, "Can I come?" And he said, "No." And I said, "Well, um, say hi to Jerry for me, will you? And see if he wants to come see the show." And so the next day, when the guy came in, I said, uh, "Did you?" Did you say hi to Jerry for me? And he says, yeah, I did. And I said, what did he say? And he said, Branch Spiner is such a fan of mine, it's sick. <laughs> and I said, you know, he's absolutely right. <laughs> That's funny. What was, so unbel- what was the most unbelievable thing when you were at his house? Just one well, little... Well, I wasn't at his house. Oh, I, it, we shot day. it at the studio. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. But it was... 
I have photos of me and Jerry from the studio. I mean, I treasure them. I could, yeah. you know. No, he was brilliant. When he was brilliant, he was brilliant. Yeah. We we always talked about the clown, the silent movies and stuff. Yeah. Because I have my entire life been a huge, huge fan and devotee of them. Yeah. And I mean, most people watch them on TV. I was just, I, I was fanatical about it. And and ended up studying clown and teaching clown stuff, which not it's not like Ringling Brothers. It was in the style of trying to find your own take on the world, your own logic that was right. illogical to everyone else. And when I was studying in France, they were the ones who really rediscovered uh, um, Keaton yeah. and Laurel and Hardy mm-hmm. just at the time when they were going sort of down. They'd gone downhill everywhere else. Mm-hmm. So I got a huge push and saw every film. You could go to theaters and just every day they had them on the yeah. big screen. Yeah. So talk to me about if you had, I mean, it's an impossible task to decide who one th- likes the best. I mean, I right. know, yeah. I know that Keaton thought, um, Laure- Stan Laurel was funnier than Chaplin, which right. I would agree with that. I think so. Yeah. <clears throat> but talk to me about, talk to me about how you sort of think of all of them. Let's start with, well, who do you want to start with? Well, you know, here's the thing. There were four geniuses, of comedy in the silence. Um, obviously, Chaplin, Keaton, Stan Laurel, not to put down Oliver Hardy because he, he was, was pretty amazing. brilliant. He was yeah. pretty brilliant. And, and Harold, Harold Lloyd, Lloyd right. yeah, who isn't quite as remembered no. as, uh, as the other guys, but he was great. And those guys were amazing because not only were they so innovative in their uh, ideas for what, how to make someone laugh, uh, how to how to do a a bit that would just uh, you know double you over when you saw it? Uh, they were actually able to actually perform it too. Right. They thought of it and then they performed it. Right. And I don't know that there's anybody now or in recent years who have has the the physical ability that those guys had. I mean, there's a lot of great comedy minds out there right now, but it's so much more cerebral. Exactly. And, and, exactly. And, it's not physical comedy in the no. same way. And uh, and even if they could come up with those bits, it's doubtful they could perform them quite the way those guys did. Which is amazing because, of course, they all, like, for example, Stan Laurel and Chaplin were in the same vaudeville group. Right. And Keaton grew up doing vaudeville all of his life. So they they all had to know how to sing and move somewhat, right. dance, you know, yeah. and do pratfalls and, and acrobatics. do all of that. Yeah. Their bodies actually were quite strong. I would say Stan's was probably the weaker of the physical stuff than some people because Oliver Hardy was the one who fell almost more right. uh, than Stan. Well, that's because Stan wrote it, and he and right. he had Ollie take the fall. <laughs> but, you know, their comedy did come out of vaudeville. You know? Absolutely. And, and it came out – I just watched – I mean, listened to a podcast that's really fascinating. Um, I, I can't remember the name of her right now, I, I, shamefully, but – uh, the last one I listened to was Cary Grant, and it's, it was like nine hours. It goes from birth to the wow. end of his life. Wow. And um, he, when he was I'm going to do one of those for you. Okay. Will you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're doing it right now. Uh, when, we were, uh, when he was in England as a, as a boy, he would see Chaplin on stage at, in the vaudeville and idolized him, worshipped him. Mm. And so he also became, you know, because Cary Grant maybe was the right. last one who could do that, except Jerry, uh, who could do that kind of physical comedy. Right, I mean, right. it was, 
uh, Cary Grant was an acrobat. Right. He joined the the the, ac- the vaudeville circuit and learned how to take falls and do handstands and all of the things those great silent guys had done. It, it's gone away completely. Well, it has, and, and it's tragic because you know, in spite marriage, which is the one where he has the the um, the, so, the socialite marries him out of spite, and what's her Who, name who's is that? Tilly. This is Keaton. Keaton, ah. And it's the one where she gets drunk and he's trying to get her in the bed, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's one of the most brilliant routines, and it's clearly physicality from both of them. I mean, what she's yeah. doing is phenomenal. Her real name is Dorothy Sebastian, mm. and her character name was Tribly Drew. <laughs> you might think of Tribly. Tribly uh, <laughs> McFadden Tribly McFadden works. could work, yeah. couldn't it? Because I do trip and physical comedy. Right. But when I, I remember in New York City when I first started doing auditions after I'd stopped teaching and stuff, I came in, I had spiky heels on, and it was very comic part, I thought. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm going to do a pratfall. And I did. And I knew how to take the fall and do the whole thing. And they were so upset <laughs> because they aren't, and I think Tia Leone had this reaction too. People didn't want to see a woman doing that kind of pratfall. Right. And and it's really sad because it's so funny. You know, the way Keaton could, could be walking with someone and then next thing he's flat on the pavement. Right. That's just this trick that we all learned. And it's so much fun. Right. And they don't want to see it now in the no, same way. No. Uh, yeah, well, and, and people can't do it. Uh, but they're not skilled at it. You know, he was, I mean, he was the greatest physical comedian oh, of all time. Oh, he was time, so chap. amazing. I mean, Keaton. Keaton was. He could do anything with yeah, his body. He could. And, I can remember being, when I was uh, 24, I went to Europe on a rail pass and uh, did that whole thing. And uh, I remember being in Paris. And uh, when I was in Europe, I was there for four months. I went to the movies every night, every single night for four months because uh, I was alone. Right. And I didn't have anything to do at night. And I wasn't a drinker or, you know, I didn't go to bars and things right. like that. So I thought either I went to the theater or I went to the movies. And, um, I remember going to see a, a Keaton movie. Uh, I think it was Sherlock Jr. Oh, it's and, the uh, one where he goes into the movie yeah, screen. Yeah, I mean, Sherlock so Jr. defies belief. It's, it's just so brilliant. It's so brilliant, ingeniously uh, 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 devised, yeah, and, uh, you know, actualized by him. But I remember sitting in the theater in Paris, and the entire audience, and it was packed, Everyone doubled over laughing through the whole movie. And I thought, wow, this is amazing because, you know, who knows how many languages were in that audience, you know. But we all totally understood what he was doing. I was thinking the same thing. You know, when I rewatched The Battling Butler, which I highly recommend you watch, that Mm -hmm. was like his first big movie that Mm -hmm. he did. I couldn't get over how brilliant it was. If they had done, like now they would put all this dialogue that would just be kind of meaningless. Right. You know, just like filling exposition. You don't need it. It would be clear every action that was going on in that. And he was playing, and this is what I never thought Chaplin could do as well. Keaton played this character and he, he was very straight. He was thinking... Just like any good actor would. There there was no mugging, really. There was nothing. You always saw the thought before he did his movement. He always understood the motivation. And it was only after MGM had forced him into, no, you can't improvise. No, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. This These are the scripts. We're bringing out genius writers from the East Coast. We want you to do the script. No improv in it. Right. And And then they they paired him with Jimmy Durante. Which was horrible. uh, I can't even watch it. I love Jimmy Durante. No, but uh, not together with them. And then, uh, when he was really down on his luck, but still had a job at MGM, 
they they had they recycled his bits. He worked yeah. for them and recycled his bits for Red Skelton. I know, and, and I know. They're just not Red Skelton. Uh, you know, you can like him or not, but he he wasn't capable of doing no what but, Keaton did. And the generosity. I know it breaks my heart. I mean, I get yeah. actually really upset by it. And Chaplin, he was phenomenally brilliant. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah. Uh, the films. I mean, for me. I love his silence, but I think his features are fantastic. I love City Lights. City Lights is City Lights incredible. is probably the, my favorite of the but, those. And, yeah. and Modern, Modern Times, Times is, is pretty great. Yeah, it too. is pretty great. And and th- that he well, it's you know, there's that last shot in oh. City Lights that uh, James Agee, who was major film critic at the time, uh, said that the last moment of City Lights, the still on Chaplin's face. Well, it's not a still. It's him. <laughs> You, you can't even describe it, but he said there's every emotion known to man yeah. in that one shot. Yeah, and uh, he was a great actor, which was different. Uh, I know, for- and I I think though it was like I always felt he was playing that character of the tramp. I think it was a shame Keaton and Chaplin in Limelight that the, when they two of them were together, it yeah. didn't work. First of all, the camera I think would have been better off staying wide on both of them because yeah. it kept cutting, and so you weren't really seeing the influence of each other. Right. Uh, what 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 I find in that moment in 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 Limelight when they're together is how funny Keaton is. I know, you know? And, but you see, they cut off of him right. because. They don't let him finish his bits. Mm-hmm. I think he, he starts some incredible bits. Right. But I felt he was, you know, reined in. But Keaton yeah. is always playing the same persona. Right. And it's the persona can be wealthy person mm-hmm. or the persona can be a bum who's not doing right. anything. Right, but he's always the same. He's always the same. And that, to me, is the most true Auguste clown because he's always trying to do what he's supposed to be doing. He's trying to do this. Oh, okay, I'll learn how to do that. He's always trying to say yes. Chaplin's tramp was in such a a pathetic situation always that (laughs) it it was like a character. It wasn't so much the way I think Chaplin began to see the world because Chaplin himself, you know, really loved being the most famous person in the world. You know, I did this movie with uh, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau yeah, called Out to Sea. Yeah, wonderful. You were wonderful. Well, oh, thanks. I, I, I was hoping you'd say that. And I, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Walter and I got to be really good friends. And, um, so cool. At one point, uh, Walter's wife, Carol, uh, had grown up in New York. Uh, three young girls grew up together in New York as best friends, from little girls to debutantes. And, and beyond. And that was Carol Mathau, um, uh, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Anderson Cooper's mother. Um, oh, Gloria Vanderbilt? Gloria Vanderbilt and Una Chaplin, oh, who, was, yes. uh, who was Eugene O'Neill's daughter. That's right. And the three of them grew up together. And there was a, a fourth who came and went, and he was a little boy, and that was Truman Capote. But they were best friends all their lives. And so Walter and Carol used to go to Switzerland to visit the chaplains because Charlie married Una Chaplin. And um, I think he was yeah. in his 50s and she was yeah. 19. Yeah. And, and they, he, had just left, he's, he had just left the United States. That's, right. That's, and he was barred from the, re-entering right, the United I know. States. They would go to Switzerland where, where they lived, where the chaplains lived every you know, summer or winter. Well, I don't know when they went. But <laughs> I, I, I asked Walter, I said, Walter, what, what was chaplain like? And he thought for a while, and he went, Charlie, Charlie was a bore. And I went, what? He says, yeah. He says, Charlie never asked a question about anyone. All he wanted to talk about was himself. Himself. Yeah. 
And there's something in his mm-hmm. films that speaks to that, you know? And I feel the opposite with Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy and uh, Keaton. Keaton. Yeah. But again, I, 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 how dare anyone put down Chaplin? I mean, Chaplin was no, a, he was a god. He, he was, was yeah, totally. And, and, and things, even when he did speak, like in The Great Dictator, that speech at the end of The Great oh. Dictator, which kind of got the worst reviews of that film I when think it came it's out. it's very brilliant. It's still, that, right yeah. now, it's oh. so powerful. It's actually being used on a commercial I've seen. Um, oh, that's weird. I know, it's really strange. But that speech is so overwhelmingly brilliant, and his delivery of it is so passionate. And uh, I, I thought, wow, that would be a great thing to audition with, that speech. But I don't think anyone could do it as well. Because he had been you know, so against what was happening at the McCarthy hearings because he had been banned. I think that's where he had even more passion about doing it. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen uh, City Lights in modern times many times. Yeah, me and, too. And uh, his physical, de- the skating he does oh, in that, God. unbelievable. Yeah. And, I like uh, his song he does in that. In, oh, yeah. I don't know what kind of a guy he was really. I mean, uh, huh. I, I mean, obviously he had friends, but Stan Laurel, uh, for me, and, I, and this could be because when I was a kid, they ran Laurel and Hardy every night. Every night. Uh, before saw, before me too. Uh, Perry well, Como. We're, they, we're the same age. Yeah, before Perry Como sang the yeah. Lord's Prayer, there would be a Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> That's right. And, um, and I'm a big Perry Como fan too. But, <laughs> but yeah, so I saw all of those films, all of the Laurel and Hardys when I was a little kid. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, how could you not love them? I well, mean, no, and they were, it was the, the, the rapport because you couldn't have one without the other. Like Stan Laurel always said, I could. I tried to be a solo act. It didn't mm-hmm. work. I couldn't be a solo act. Yeah. It, he had to have that kind of foil. Well, it was magic that it, it really happened was. and it came was together. It was so magic. Yeah. The logic of the two of them. Yeah. It is complete theatrical clown. There is logic in their illogic. You know, a difference also uh, between uh, Stan and, and Buster Keaton, for example, is uh, I loved— uh, the the Laurel and Hardy silence, but the sound films, uh, oh, I God. think they really locked in when they we did. could hear their voices yeah. because uh, they were they were just perfect voices coming out of them. They were. Uh, Keaton never really uh, had a big success when he spoke. His voice actually was great. Oh, I loved his voice. They and had a croaking. Kind yeah, of low. but he actually it was that they were telling him to be more monotone in his first talk. Mm. If they had again, if Let he had had a- the freedom to do what he wanted, mm-hmm. he could he had a beautiful singing voice. He had all kinds of things he could have done. Yeah. And some of the things you see later when he's like an old man and he's yeah. talking. Yeah, he's like hilarious. He, he's hilarious, but he also has a great voice. I think it was by that point he'd been drinking so much. Yeah. And it changed him. He was also a huge smoker. Right. I was a big fan of a, my favorite series, maybe of all time, um, and certainly when I was a kid, was Candid Camera. And oh, God, I know. Candid Camera, he you, so you laugh out loud every week on Candid yeah. Camera. It was just so funny. And um, there's one segment on Candid Camera that Buster Keaton does that is the single funniest thing in all of Candid Camera. Well, the people who are sitting next to him, when they see the things he's doing, and uh, I mean, when he, he he has a cup of coffee and or a bowl of soup, and he's wearing a toupee, toupee and he sneezes and it goes in the soup, and the people, and then he rings it out and puts, puts it, back it back on his head, and the people sitting next to him have no idea that's Buster King. It's just some pathetic oh. old man, and and they're doing everything they can not to laugh. I know. Uh, 
But uh, but back to Stan and Ollie, they they you know having seen them all, I, I think my favorites. Well, I like I really love uh, oddly Oxford Chumps. That's a flip side of Stan that you never you ever see. see again, where he plays this upper crust British guy, right. and, and it's and it has pathos in it in a really wonderful way because uh, he's such an awful person, <laughs> and uh, he's gotten hit on the head with a brick or something, and he. Yeah. He becomes this other guy who's this upper crust British fellow, and and uh, Ollie can't stand it. He can't. He misses the other guy. Yeah. The other guy so much. You know, that's what was so beautiful with their relationship because they would get you know so angry at each other, but there was such a love between them, and that is so beautiful to see. I yeah. mean, it really is. Did, and did you see the the film? Oh with yeah, Stan and Ollie. I How cried. great was it? I thought it was brilliant. I, I, I think it was an overlooked film. I agree. And, uh, I think he should, have, he should have won Best Actor oh to God. me. I, I, That's I one voted of the greatest performance. It was amazing. You know, when I first heard about it, uh, I'd heard about it like two years before they made it, and that they were shopping it around, and I called my manager, and I said, please keep an eye on this. I want to play stand. They're going to make a story. And it's their later years when they were on tour in England. And I think I could do it. He said, yeah, I'll keep a, I'll keep an eye on it. Well, the next thing I heard about, I read about it. It was cast and it was Steve Coogan and right. John C. Riley, And they were both and so I, good. They were great. And I went to, when I saw the movie, I wanted so badly not to like it. And I saw <laughs> Steve Coogan and I thought, there is no way I could have done that. Yeah, he, he is so sensational. Good. When they, I was crying when they did the dance at the Oh, end. my God. Oh, I mean, that physicalization shows their whole relationship. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah, they were phenomenal. And, and uh, oh, here's another thing they did that was unusual, that was different from other, well, in silence particularly. It was very different. Silent film, um, um, what's his name, who who was the, the mogul sort of of silent film? Um, uh, Senate, Max Senate? Yeah, Max yeah. Senate. Uh his deal was he sped everything up, mm-hmm. so it was really fast. And, you know, a lot of people think that's just, you know, the way the films looked, but it didn't. They didn't. They look like films look now. It's just they sped them up to make the comedy uh, land in a different way. Stan and Ollie did the exact opposite. Slow. They slowed everything down to the point that you saw it coming before they did. Yeah, and yeah. And— it was still hilarious yeah. when it finally happened. And, 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 you know, I think it was W.C. Fields who said, uh, if, it, if it doesn't hurt, it ain't funny. Mm. And, um, mm. and surely Laurel and Hardy were the kings of that yeah. because there was so much pain. But you know what? It's, it's the sound that makes us think that it's that big. It, it mm-hmm. really wasn't. The stuff, they, they had much less than the way Keaton and, and Chaplin um, – did they really did do Get things hurt. that could hurt themselves? Yeah. yeah, they were really doing death-defying stunts. Right, and Ollie sold it always. That's with right. The, oh. Yeah, that's you right. Know. I mean, he, no one got hit as much as Ollie in no. anything. No, he, it always backfired on him. I love all of that pratfall and oh yeah, me those too. relationships. Yeah, I think um, uh, again, you know, I think it 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 continued on. The tradition did. Through Cary Grant, who really was—I mean, Cary yeah. Grant was many things yeah, in his lifetime. Yeah, because he was also he was the, so gorgeous. He was the greatest so movie slow. star of all oh, time. He was. He was. Uh, the but he was also a great physical comedian. Yeah. Uh, he could play dead serious, yeah. uh, like in Notorious with uh, Ingrid Bergman. Mm-hmm. Um, 
He could do anything. But then it sort of just went away until Jerry. I mean, there were people like like Fields who had their own physicality that was really interesting. Uh, Mae but, West used it in yeah, her Mae own West. way. Mm-hmm. She's certainly using, yeah. But all of those people came from vaudeville. All right. of them. Right. And then but not it, someone like Dick Van Dyke. Oh, Dick was physical. That's true. Dick, Dick. He uh, was very physical. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, you know, it's interesting about Dick, too. And uh, you were mentioning this about women, but, uh, you know, Dick is, is a brilliant actor. He's like a really, yeah. he can do it all. He's uh, very emotionally in touch with himself. And, and there was a period of time where he was making these really heavy, serious movies. Um, uh, the, the Runner Stumbles, do you remember that? About the nun and the priest, and he fell in love with her. And he hates I'm himself. Not remembering for, it. Yeah, no. and he did another one called I think The Morning After, which was about alcoholism. Well, yeah, he and, had that in his life. Right. Yeah. But he just uh lets go emotionally. He's so available. And somehow it didn't it didn't really serve him. Uh mm. you know, I, I asked him this one time, I said, Why do you think it was that you could do that, that, that Jack Lemmon could do that. Jack Lemmon, who was also, also a great very, comedian. Also very, funny and very yeah. serious. Yeah. Uh, and could play both sides. But Jack could do the serious stuff, and people really loved it. But when Dick did it, it was almost too much. We couldn't take it. We couldn't take watching Dick go through that. So what did he say? He said, I don't know. He said, uh, you tell me. He I, said, I, I really I, don't know. I would guess that there's a fine line between self-indulgent and brilliant. And I think you need a brilliant script and a brilliant director like Billy Wilder. Yeah. The great comedy that goes on now, I, it's just, I, and I love, you know, guys who are doing comedy now, obviously. I, I worship it's, it's, comedians. It's, it's more but it's a, cerebral. A, a brain thing. And, yeah. and uh, I mean, the last guy, I, I'll tell you who could have done it, but again, uh, he was a bird of a different feather because he was a theater actor and a serious actor. Uh, but Kevin Klein yeah, had he, the ability to do did. physical comedy like the greats did. Totally. And, he, I uh, saw his Pirates of Penzance. Did oh, you? insane. Yeah, it was I saw amazing. it a couple times. Yeah, right. And he was hilarious. He was and hilarious. His physicality was just phenomenal. See, young people, they're trained in theater school to do all this. I think it's something that maybe with film being now, you can do so much in video and you can shoot it on your uh, iPhone. Maybe it'll start to come back yeah. because- People love to see it. If someone right. actually shows a video of someone falling a pratfall, they'll laugh and they'll say, oh, that's too bad, as long right. as someone's not really hurt. Well, who are those guys who uh, they did a series of films where all it was about was getting hurt and they kept hurting themselves uh, worse? Oh, jackass than, or something. Yeah, those yeah, guys. Those that, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, no, that's, that's like, different. Yeah. That's different. I don't, that, yeah, it, that's daredevil. That doesn't daredevil. amuse me, but, No, it's you know, daredevil stuff. There were people who loved it, but I, I wasn't but, one But of I them. think it has to do with allowing people time to breathe and try a couple times and push it, you know, and well, not feel this pressure of, I have to hit this line, I have to do that. That comedy is just so tricky and precise. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the scene. There's a scene in City Lights, a very famous scene where he first sees the shop girl, and she fills the the bucket with water, and he's watching. He's sitting watching her do it, and she throws the bucket of water in his face. (laughs) (laughs) It's and she doesn't know she's done that. Right. That apparently took two days. They shot that for two days. Yeah. That one brief little moment till he got it right. Yeah, because uh, they had he had creative control. You got to promise me to watch uh, Battling Butler. Okay. I mean, I think it's 
remarkable. And and I will. And you've got to promise yeah. me to watch my entire oeuvre, uh, uh, everything <laughs> I've ever done. I have already, darling. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just can't remember your birthday. because that's, but <laughs> Exactly. I, but I'm, now I'm going to. Now I'm going to. I mean, to. that is, you know, that Gates is. and I are exactly a month <laughs> apart. I am uh, February 2nd. She is March 2nd. <laughs> I remember her birthday every year. She never, she's, she goes, I think his birthday's somewhere around. I can't quite remember. A month to the day. I am a space cadet. You mm. know that about me. How yes. many times have you, after I've had one and a half drinks <laughs> with oh my the group God. of people? Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I am like the, the woman in that Keaton film, you yeah. know, where I'll dump my, Brent has always had to be the one. The one who escorts me to my room. And I've hardly had anything to drink. Right. But I'm, I'm gone. I'm such well, a Well, no, you drunk. know what it's really like? It's like uh, uh, Laurel and Hardy in, um, oh, I can't think of the name of it, where they get drunker and drunker and drunker, and then they find out they haven't been drinking alcohol at all. <laughs> <laughs> that was so great, yeah. that one. Yeah, but I do remember th- dumping my entire purse oh, on, yes. the on the floor. on the ground, yes, on the floor. Looking for my key saying, I have it in here. Oh, let me just dump the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> You're so patient. <laughs> I love it. I there's love like, it. Uh, and there's old, uh, you know, baseball cards and bazooka gum and all kinds of oh, things came out of our purse. God, I yeah. know. Yeah. Well, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Well, I adore you. You have been the greatest godfather. Oh, thank you. That um, my son could ever have had. Well, he's a wonderful guy. And Easy to do. It was the priest, though. <laughs> the, priest <laughs> the priest at the baptism. Well, I don't even want to go there. We got... We Wait, have conflicting who, stories about that. But oh, what, the, so what's your story? No, the conflicting story is uh, I didn't know I was going to be the uh, <laughs> the godfather. The godfather. No. Oh, how funny. Yeah, and you were certain you had asked me. <laughs> but, <laughs> that is uh, so so space cadet. No, I was getting. <laughs> I, That's I, I, so literally, horrible. That Saturday. I was what having, did you think you were going to? Well, you invited me, <laughs> and you invited all of us to come to the christening. I did? Yeah. And, I didn't invite everybody. Well, I don't know, but no, I know you I said, hey, you. Uh, come. Well, I didn't know that. And I said, you said, hey, come to the christening. It's at, <laughs> if, if you can, it's at uh, noon at, you know, at this church. And I, I said, yeah, okay. And then I, I thought, oh, I, you. and I thought, oh, I'm not going to go. And no. I was, yes. And I was having a facial. <laughs> I was literally having a facial that morning. <clears throat> and I, and I was laying there, and oh I thought, should God. I go? Oh, she'll probably be hurt if I don't show up. Okay, I'll go. I had asked and I you went, to be his godfather. No. Yes, and I have. See, this is the, uh, the, this <laughs> oh, is the this dilemma. Is so but funny. But when, when awful the didn't. priest was holding the baby, and he said to you, who's the godfather? And you pointed to me and went, he is. I went, huh? And, and he handed me Jack. Well, uh, the deal was sealed at that moment. <laughs> but meanwhile, the priest, I had two Jewish godparents. Yeah. And the whole thing is that the godparent is supposed to keep you in the faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, I probably am going to get death threats <laughs> after, if anyone hears this on the podcast, but well, it really was pretty funny. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> I just did that for my mother, the yeah. christening. Yeah. But then what's... Okay, so, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm totally ashamed if that's true. I feel so badly. But... Uh, you were well, if my, anything happens to you, he is a Jew. <laughs> okay, that's um, yeah, fine. I'll take okay. care of it. Okay, yeah. no problem. But I have to say, you were such a brilliant guy. I still are. I mean, it really was. My favorite, though, moment was when, you know, he got into that Joey's Kitchen. He had, I had, yeah. he loved being the chef and having the restaurant. And mm-hmm. we had all this plastic food. And when you went into his room and you 
you know, said, yeah, what's on the menu? And he showed you and he was making you the plastic hamburger and everything. And then you started eating the plastic hamburger. That's what I remember. He went, no, no, Uncle Brent, Uncle Brent, don't eat it. And you're like, no, it's good. No, it's bad. It's plastic. Yeah, that's when I stopped eating meat, I think, that day. <laughs> you like the plastic. Yeah, yeah. It's good. Well, anyway, I love you. Love you too. And uh, I'll, I'll try hard to remember your birthday. But see, you yeah. have an eye calendar and stuff, right? So it, I mean, it's I, a cheat. Yeah, I guess so. I have to I look it up every the, year. I don't I go, do that. Let's see. Today is March 2nd. It's a month after my birth. I think, let me look that up. Yeah, that's Gates' birthday. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, another compliment, even though I do these horrible things to you. Yeah. The best presents that you used to, when we were at that point before we were all off with other Broke. people. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. no. When, yeah. We, when we even, it was just starting to happen. Yeah. You gave me the greatest Christmas presents. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. You always would specifically look for something. It was really good. You have a good eye for that. God, I had more you. time then, didn't I? Yeah. Well, so I know it's changed <laughs> yeah, for everybody. Right. I can't wait to see this year's present you give me. Oh, my God. I mean. You just got it, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, I I believe that. But it's better than the thing where we would have to sit there. Remember where we'd go in in one of our trailers and going, okay, we have to do the parts. Our thing. Our turn. Our turn to do the Christmas presents for the the cast and the crew. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was a nightmare, wasn't it? (laughs) It really was. And somehow... Did Patrick ever no, have to he do never it? He did never it. had to no, do it. No, he never did. No. But anyway, we, you, you did it several times. Oh, yeah. I did it twice, I yeah. think. Marina did it, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we all did. Yeah. All right. Well, I love you. I'll I love talk you, too. To you. I'll see you uh, sometime soon, I hope. Yeah, right all after right. this. Okay, babe. Okay. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. Oh, I needed that laugh. See, if you ask me about Brent offstage, the words that spring to mind are loyal and thoughtful. He will always be funny, but he is a most loyal friend to his friends, regardless of their level of success. He is there for them, as you just heard in this episode. What? A friend needs a godfather? He's full in. Thanks for listening. Stay safe.